You're listening to Matt Walsh on demand. Welcome to Matt Walsh on Demand, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, well, you're not really here exactly, but wherever you are, thanks for being wherever you are and uh, and listening to me. Um, a, a couple of important things to get to. Sorry, I'm going to have to take a break every few minutes and, and drink a glass of water. I've, I've started this thing, this new um, uh, routine where I'm, I'm drinking a gallon of water a day now, which a, a gallon of water is a lot of water in case you weren't aware so it's just it's pretty much just constant you're constantly drinking water all day long and then constantly you know urinating of course um so i always have to be i always have to be close to a bathroom at all at all times and i'll tell you why i'm trying to do this because i i keep i'm well i'm a sheep you understand i'm a sheep i'm a i'm a sucker and so i i scroll down my facebook news feed and i constantly see these stories of look at this radical transformation that somebody underwent just from drinking a gallon of water a day. And I keep seeing these things about how if you drink a gallon of water a day, you lose weight and your skin becomes radiant. And I'd love to have radiant skin. So I decided I'll try that. I'll give it a shot just because why not? I, I do think, and I don't have any numbers or statistics to back this up, but I do think we are a very dehydrated uh, society. And dehydration is a problem. What we very few of us take in the right amount of water, I think. And I think the reason is, is, is there are so many other options. There have, me, there have never been in the history of human civilization. There have never been as many beverage choices as there are now. So we all. It used to be that you had water, um, and the water you couldn't really drink because it was infested with with the plague or whatever. And then, and then, so you also had beer and wine. So everyone just drank beer and wine, which is fine. But now we have so many other options that we're, we're constantly drinking these other things, like caffeinated coffee, you know, all these other sodas. And, um, and so it, it tricks our bodies into thinking that we're being hydrated because we're drinking a liquid. But in fact, many of these things dehydrate us. Uh, and that's, I could do the whole podcast on why we should all drink more water, but, but I won't. So instead, what I'd like to talk to you about is, uh, is um, truth, okay? And ultimately, I believe that the world and all of the people in it can be divided into just two groups. And those groups would be those who love the truth and those who hate it. So those to stri- who, who strive to find the truth and those who strive to bury it. And in this life, these uh, warring factions might attempt to live beside each other because we have no other choice. So we live beside each other, though though awkwardly and, uh, and even painfully. But that's necessary. And the thing is, you can go from one side to the other. So somebody could be on the side of hating the truth and have an awakening, an enlightenment, and come over to this side. And that's, that's life right now, the battle between those who, who want truth and those who don't. But in the next life, there will be no coexistence like this. When we die, you know, we will finally find absolute justice and fairness. And with this justice and fairness, we will all be given exactly what we've always wanted. It's important for us to understand this because this is, this is what it means to have free will. And this is what we mean when we say, you know, we can all choose the Lord, we can all choose heaven, but not everybody does. 
Those who are in hell choose to be there. Those who long for truth, ultimately in the end, will be brought into a full communion with it, or when I say it, I really mean him. And those who wish to live in a world of deceit and darkness will uh, will be granted that, that opportunity. Everybody gets what they want in the end. And truth, the king of truth, God will bring his children home and the, and the, and the father of lies will claim his minions to himself. And, uh, and this is the story of, of mankind, not just mankind, but, but, but of all, of, of, of all of existence, light versus dark, truth versus lies. I remember, uh, if you remember the scene at the end of, uh, true detective, when Matthew McConaughey's character is telling, uh, Woody Harrelson's character about how, when he was a kid, he would look up at the at the stars at night, and he would make up stories about, I guess, sort of mythological tales about about the stars, like uh, like the ancient civilizations did. And Woody Harrelson asks him, well, what, what, what's what's you know what, what what is the story? What is what is the story of the stars?" And Matthew McConaughey says, "Well, it's 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 the only story. It's the oldest story, light versus dark, and that's what it is. It's the only batter, battle that ever mattered. It's the only question worthy of an answer." Nothing is, is more important than truth, and nothing defines us more than our desire to attain it or to avoid it. And that desire is what will damn us or save us in the end, and nothing else. So they say money is the is the root of all evil, but really, that's not true, of course. Falsehood is the root of all evil. Literally, the root of all evil. The very first evil, the evil at the, at the, at the, uh, at the fall of man was, was a lie, and truth is the root of all goodness. So I think we need to start seeing things in these terms. There's a reason why I'm getting all theological on you. There's a reason why I'm taking you to church right now. Because we need to start seeing things in these terms. Every debate about everything boils down to what is true and what isn't. I know that sounds supremely obvious. And it should be. But it isn't to a lot of people. Every debate boils down to what is true and what isn't. Now, here's the thing. If both sides are attempting to discern the truth, if both sides really want to know what is true, and that's what the argument is about, um, then, then in fact, they're, they're on the same side. If you're debating somebody over an issue, it could be any issue at all, if at the bottom of all of that, you both really want to know what is right and what is true, and that's what you're trying to get at, then in fact, although you're arguing and you're having a discussion, you're having a debate, and maybe that debate is even is even uh, angry at times, you're really not on opposite sides. You're on the same side. And I know that, that, that my wife and I, we have to remind ourselves, we have to remind each other this all the time, and I, I think we're probably not the only married couple, where we get into arguments about things. And like I, I think I mentioned before, we're in the process right now of buying a house. And... Um, it can be a stressful, it can be a stressful process, right? It can be stressful on a marriage, buying a house, any big life decision. And really it shouldn't be that way, you know, because my wife and I, sometimes we get into arguments about this and that thing associated with the whole buying the house process. And one or both of us will have to stop and say, you know what? We're on the same side here. We, we, we both want the same thing. You know, we both want the same thing for our families. We both are, we're both getting at the same thing in the end. And so maybe this is an argument ostensibly about whether or not we're going to remodel the bathroom in the new house. Um, that might that might on the surface be be the argument, but really underneath all of that, 
the real question is what's best for our family, what's best for us, and we both want what's best for us and what's best for our family. So actually, although we're arguing, we're really on the same side. We're married, and that's and that's the true and that's the that's true of of all people. When you're arguing about something, but you want in the end the same thing, and that thing is truth, then you're really on the same side. You're not on sa- separate sides. These are healthy arguments. They are good fights. You're fighting the good fight. When two people or two groups of people desire to find truth, a discussion, in that case, however heated, can lead both closer to it. And so there's no there's no need to label the sides in this case. You know, nobody's part of any ideology um, in this case because because truth isn't an ideology. Truth just is. And these people only want to know what is. So that, that doesn't place them on an ideological spectrum because truth transcends the spectrum. It's not on a spectrum. When both sides want truth, that's all they want. And they're really on the same side. But the thing is, this is not a, a kumbaya moment of, oh, we're all on the same side. Let's, uh, let's uh, clasp hands and, and uh, you know, dance in a, in a circle around the campfire. Although there's nothing wrong with dancing in a circle around the campfire. That's not what I'm talking about because, in fact... Um, when, when, when there's an argument and both sides are trying to get at truth and want the truth, uh, yes, it's true that then both are on the same side, but that doesn't mean that everyone is actually on the same side because the point here, what I'm getting to in my very, uh, wordy way is that the problem in our civilization is that many of us don't actually care about the truth at all. And our arguments and our debates are so infamously futile because they're not designed to reach any kind of conclusion at all. And that's when you find yourself in a discussion with someone who is fundamentally and in every sense on the on the opposite side from you. They are on a completely different side. And it's a side where they're where 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 in fact the sides are so opposite um, and so alien to each other that there, that there can never be agreement. There can never be harmony as long as that other side exists. And the other side that I'm talking about is the side of the, the people who don't really care about the truth when it comes down to it. They care about a narrative. They care about uh, winning an argument. They care about a, a lot of things, but they don't care about the truth. The truth is irrelevant. In fact, the truth is many times an obstacle to, to them, and they know that. So when you're arguing with somebody like this who doesn't care about the truth, well, then you're definitely on opposite sides, and there can be no agreement between you ever. You cannot reach any conclusions about anything, literally anything. When you're when you, when you are debating someone who doesn't care about the truth, no conclusions about anything can ever be reached. So when we talk about liberal, conservative, you know those those labels are too vague, too messy, um, too hard to define. They're, 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 these are labels that have changed over time and developed and evolved and devolved and and everything else. So I don't think we should even we should even look at it like that. I mean, I I would be accused of being a conservative, and it doesn't offend me necessarily when somebody calls me that. But I don't you know I I, I don't walk around every day and say to myself, well, what would a conservative do in this situation? When I when I look at an issue, I don't say, well, what's the conservative position? I'll take the conservative position. I I don't even know what conservatism is exactly. It can't be defined. Um, I've never heard anyone offer a definition, and in fact, if you do come up with a definition, half of the so-called conservatives will disagree with that definition. So I don't worry about being conservative. I worry about being a, a Christian. I worry about that, but I don't worry about being a conservative. If I happen to have positions that 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 coincide with what's 
generally considered conservatism, well, fine, but I'm not worried about it. And then on the other side, you have you have uh, liberalism and, and liberals. And again, you've got a, a label that's vague and hard to define. And I think it's probably better if we stop using these terms altogether because all they do is uh, they, they don't serve to clarify anything. They just confuse everything. And so whatever its um, history, whatever the etymology of, of, of the word, modern liberalism, modern liberalism is really anti-truth. A modern liberal... Uh, it would be simpler to say, is just a liar. I know that sounds harsh and, and uh, it sounds mean, but but a lie is a lie and a liar is a liar. And if we cannot call a liar a liar and a lie a lie anymore, then all is lost. There's no point of anyone saying anything ever again if we cannot call a lie a lie. Modern liberalism is a lie, and the proponents of it are liars. And I'll tell you why it's important to say lie and liar rather than, you know, uh, uh, misinformed or confused or whatever. Because a lie is something that is intentional. And a liar is aware of the truth, but purposefully tries to uh, distract from, from it, cover it up, advance some other notion that is not the truth. That's what a liar does. And that's what liberalism is. So the the... The real proponents, the apostles of liberalism, because I, I'll admit that, that many of the followers of liberalism, um, many of them are, uh, I think a fair amount of them are in fact liars to a certain extent, but, but many of them are also just confused and manipulated and taken advantage of, um, and, and I think that's the case. But when it comes to the apostles of liberalism, the primary proponents of it in media, academia, and government, uh, these people are all, are all liars. Every single one of them, they're all liars. They know better. They know that that's what they're doing. They know that they're lying, and they do it anyway. And I think this reality, that uh, liberalism is a lie, I think it's been highlighted to a very uh, dramatic extent in the last couple of weeks. And there have been times when I've been very frustrated, and I've had to go back and remember this. I've had to go back and say, okay, well, yes, this is just a lie. It's all a lie. And, and when you're arguing with a liberal, you're arguing with somebody who fundamentally, by definition, does not care about the truth. I have to keep going back and, and reminding myself that so that I don't go crazy. And what we've seen in the last few weeks, uh, we've seen that we've, we've reached some kind of critical mass. We've reached, uh, we've reached a, a, a moment in our nation's history when a very large number of the American population doesn't care about the truth at all. That explains the situation in Ferguson, okay? And we've been, you know, you've been watching this unfold. Uh, you've been watching what's happened ever since the grand jury decision was announced, uh, whatever that was. Was that last week? Feels like it's been forever. But last week, the grand jury decision was announced. Information was provided. We finally got a look at all sides of this situation. Uh, we, were, we were finally... Uh, uh, privy to to certain key facts and pieces of evidence, and it became apparent, painfully so, that the Ferguson narrative, the outrage, has been built on a lie, several lies, I suppose, but one one principal lie told by Dorian Johnson, Michael Brown's friend, who really started this entire thing by first taking part in a in a strong arm robbery of a convenience store, 
then taking part in the assault of a police officer, and then lying about it to uh, to the police. And it seems it seems apparent, based on the grand jury reports and based on what the prosecutor said, uh, and based on the decision the grand, grand jury made, that Doreen Johnson, along with uh, a few of the other supposed witnesses that we saw on camera, uh, and there were only ever, I think, two, three, four at most, uh, but those witnesses, particularly the ones that appeared on camera, recanted their stories or changed them entirely or admitted that they never even saw what happened. But it all began with Dorian Johnson, who had every reason to lie, of course, because this was his friend, number one, uh, and because he's obviously not a person of great character based on his behavior leading up to this incident, number two, and because he's trying to protect himself because he committed two crimes, at least. And now we have a third and possibly a fourth obstruction of justice, perjury, uh, possibly inciting a riot. I mean, this is a, a man who has committed many crimes and is responsible for a lot of death and destruction. And hopefully he'll be called to answer for that. But the point is, we found out, and it, 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 it really, it, um, I think anyone who was paying attention and who read all the reports and who read some of the leaks out of the grand jury in the weeks leading up to the decision, anyone who really looked at the situation from the very beginning and looked at the story that was told about what happened, you know, anyone in that in that camp, anyone, again, who, who really cares about the truth and who has a discerning eye and is a critical thinker, uh, could have looked at it and said, all right, well, it's it's uh, the story that we're told that this white cop just rolled up on this, quote, kid for no reason whatsoever. Oh, he was jaywalking, right? And so we're told this white cop rolled up on this kid for jaywalking and um, for no reason whatsoever, got out of his car, began to assault him. The kid ran away, shot him in the back in broad daylight in front of witnesses. And then the kid turns around, is on the is on the ground, kneeling with his hands up, saying, don't shoot. And this cop walks right up to him in broad daylight in front of witnesses and executes him in the middle of the street for no reason. That story from the beginning, which anyone who cares about the truth and who was a critical thinker could look at that story from the very beginning and say, now, wait a second. This is incredible. This is an incredible story. Um, uh, this is a story of a, of a, of a, of a cop who's a, apparently a, a psychotic, a, a serial killer, and he has no other record, you know, nothing else on his record. He's never done this before, but apparently he just lost his mind that day and decided to execute somebody in the middle of the street for no reason. Uh, and you know what, before we assume that that's what happened, maybe we should hear the other side of the story, right? Maybe we should at least hear the other side of the story before we assume that this incredible event took place. And anyone who said that to themselves, again, the people that care about the truth, uh, they would have found reason to to doubt the story early on. And then when the grand and then when the grand jury reports were leaked, well, now you're saying to yourself, okay, um, this this uh, this really appears to be to be complete BS. But if you're like me, you said, well, these are leaked reports. We don't really know. I mean, maybe it's maybe 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 they're just false. Maybe this isn't you know. Uh, it, we don't know the source of the leak. These are anonymous leaks, so let's let's at least wait until we officially get the word from the grand jury. And then we got the official word. They released about a thousand pages of of evidence, and it became very clear, explicitly clear, that the story we heard in the first few minutes of the Michael Brown shooting, that story was a lie. There's no getting around it. There's no there's no uh, there's no way to, to, to dull the edges of this. It was a lie, plain and simple. And so when you look at the ballistics, you look at the forensics, you look at all of the eyewitnesses' reports, and apparently there are about 60 eyewitnesses, you look at everything, um, 
you find a picture that's very different. You find a picture of a of a of a of a man, Michael Brown, who walked into a convenience store and uh, truly, for no reason in this case, decided to brazenly take a, uh, a package of cigars off of the counter at the convenience store, right in front of the store owner, right in front of the front of the store clerk. Um, just as a way to sort of pick on this guy. I mean, I can't think of any other reason why you would do this. He didn't even attempt to shoplift it and stuff it in his pocket and be discreet about it and run out. No, the point here wasn't even to steal the thing. It was to pick on this guy, which is why he did it right in front of him. So he takes the cigars. He starts to sort of saunter out. And then uh, the store clerk confronts him. He, he, He grabs the store clerk by the neck, shoves him into a display case. And then he doesn't run away. Okay, he doesn't, he doesn't run away at this point. He knows that he's robbed the place and then the, the police are going to come. But he doesn't run away. Like someone who's just a shoplifter, they might run away, but he doesn't. He walks down the middle of the street. He doesn't just walk down the sidewalk. He walks, he walks down the middle of the street, knowing that he just committed a robbery and the police are going to come get him. And then the police do come. But you know what? The police, the policeman that first arrives at the scene doesn't recognize at first that this is a suspect in a robbery. So the police just rolled down a window and said, hey, we need you to move to the sidewalk. You can't walk down the middle of the street. But Michael Brown, still not satisfied, determined, determined to have a confrontation, doing everything, every step of the way to make sure that he has a violent confrontation with a police officer, rather than saying, oh, this guy doesn't recognize me. I guess I locked out. Okay, officer, I'll move to the side to the sidewalk and then walk, and then as soon as the officer's not looking, run. You know, that's what someone would do if they actually wanted to get away with the robbery. But he doesn't do that. He cusses the cop out, says, nope, I'm not going to move to the side of the street. Now the cop has a chance to really examine the situation, uh, and he realizes, oh, look at that. He fits the description. He's holding a pack, package of cigars. This is our armed robbery suspect. He puts a call into the other to his uh, to you know to the other cars, and he he uh, stops his car. He tries to get out to to um, make an arrest, and Michael Brown assaults him while he's in the police car. He assaults him. We know that because the forensics prove it. And then Brown tries to grab the officer's gun, and we know that because the ballistics prove it. Shots go off. Michael Brown retreats. He starts running. Officer Wilson gives chase, uh, but this chase does not last but a few seconds. Michael Brown stops, comes toward the officer. We know this because of the forensics and because of blood analysis. There is no doubt here that Michael Brown stopped and came toward the officer. This is a fact. It's not just witnesses, but the but the forensics prove it, because you've got Michael Brown at the end of it, laying dead on the sidewalk or on the pay on the on the on the street, and we have a trail of blood that go of his blood that goes past him about 20 feet, which means that while bleeding, he stopped and came toward the officer. Officer screams at him, tells him to stop. He doesn't. Uh, officer then lets off some shots, tells him to stop. He doesn't. Lets off some more shots, puts him down. He's dead. That's what happened. According to the forensics, according to the ballistics, according to the evidence, according to uh, other eyewitnesses. And according to the eyewitnesses, by the way, who haven't been contradicted by the evidence, and the eyewitnesses who have not recanted their testimony, and the eyewitnesses who did not have an obvious incentive to lie, and by the way, all of the eyewitnesses who came out and confirmed the officer's story, every single one of them put their lives on the line. So they had, not only did they not have an incentive to lie, but they had every incentive to lie in the other direction. 
So of all the witness testimony, the ones who took the officer's side automatically are the most credible because why in the world would you risk your life to take the police officer's side? Doesn't make any sense. But regardless, their their account vindicated by the evidence anyway, so we don't we don't even have to look at credibility and all these other things. But then look what happened. It's proven now. Proven. Proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Michael Brown was not shot in the back. He did not have his hand raised. His hands raised. And there is every reason in the world to believe that he never made any attempt to surrender. And we absolutely know that he instigated this confrontation for no reason at all. He had every opportunity to de-escalate it. He had every opportunity really to, to avoid the confrontation altogether by running away or doing what a normal person would do if they'd robbed the store. He had every opportunity, but he wanted this confrontation. He made, he turned this, he, he, he turned it into something violent. He turned it into something deadly. And yet that hasn't stopped the narrative. We've got members of the Congressional Black Caucus taking to the, uh, to the floor, the House of Representatives, putting their hands up in the air, you know, the symbolic hands up in the air, hands up, don't shoot. But we know that didn't happen. We know that it's a lie. And they're still doing it. The St. Louis Rams run out on the field, hands up in the air. We know that it's a lie. We know it didn't happen. Of course, as we know, the Ferguson protesters, after the grand jury decision, 1,000 pages of evidence released. They didn't take time to read it. They didn't, they didn't, it didn't matter. Because it, it, it didn't matter to them what it said. It didn't make a difference. There could be video evidence. There could be video documenting. I know everyone's now saying, oh, put put video cameras on the cops. Like, video cameras would matter? If forensics don't matter, if ballistics don't matter, if eyewitness testimony doesn't matter, if none of that matters, then why would, why would video matter? It doesn't. Forget the, the body cameras. It doesn't matter. Because the truth doesn't matter to one side of this debate. The liberals adopted this. They decided that it's good for their narrative. It's good for their racial narrative. It's good for their narrative about law enforcement. It's good for their narrative about uh, their for their socioeconomic narrative. And so they adopted it, and they said this is our this is our version of events, and it doesn't matter if it's true. And I have heard that stated pretty much explicitly, as I'm sure you have you have multiple times. People all but saying, "Look, it doesn't matter if this is true or not." Michael Brown was murdered, and it doesn't even matter if he wasn't really murdered. We're still saying that he was murdered. Because the truth doesn't matter. And I've had so many arguments with people, mostly uh, mostly online, the most productive sorts of arguments online, but also, you know, other people in person. I, I've had so many arguments, and, and, I'm, and I'm just banging my, my head against the wall, and I'm saying, what are you talking about? It's proven what you're saying is not true. We know that it's not true. What are you talking about? And I'm yelling. I'm yelling at my computer screen. I'll lay out all the evidence and somebody will leave a comment. Hands up, don't shoot. That didn't happen! Banging my head against the wall. And I have to pull myself back and I realize it, 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 what, am, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to communicate truth to people who don't care about it. And so this discussion cannot move forward. It can't go anywhere. We are stuck running in circles, chasing our own tails. Because liberalism is a, is a destructive force, possibly the most destructive force in the history of human civilization. And I truly believe that. 
And I think, and I think, no matter what metric you're looking at, including death toll, um, uh, I think that I certainly at least have an argument. But it is, it is a, a more than anything, it's physically destructive, but it's spiritually destructive, because it convinces people that the truth doesn't matter. What matters is the uh, the result. Does this help the narrative? If the answer is yes, then then there you have it. What's the point of doing any more investigation? You've already gotten what you want out of it. Point's already been proven. Truth doesn't matter. That's the situation we're in as a society. What do we do about it? How do we uh, fix it? Um, I I don't know. I wish I had the answer for you. Maybe that's a podcast for another day. I do know, and this is what I've been saying for a long time, is that our, our um, you know, as people that care about the truth, uh, it, it's almost pointless to try to convince people of the truth at this, at, this, at this juncture. The first thing that we need to do is get people to care about it. Before we convince them that of this, you know, before we convince them of this particular truth over here, we have to fundamentally convince them to care about the truth to begin with. And I don't know if you can really convince someone to care about something. I don't know if you can intellectually convince them to care about something. But however it can be done, that's the first step. And I wish I had I wish I had more, but I don't. And I'm running out of time anyway. So that's going to do it for me this week. Um, remember, you can always find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Matt Walsh blog. And I'll talk to you next week, but probably plenty of times before then. Akuche Salus. Have a great week.